Hello and welcome to The Court Jester, your weekly window to the crazy side of the Middle Ages. I am Cleopatheno, medievalist and storyteller, and today's story is called The Knight Who Heard His Wife's Confession. So you can guess we're back to cuckolded husband territory. But before we get started, I will need to issue your usual fair warning. This is dated humor at best. The story was written several centuries ago. It was what had people rolling with laughter in the 12th and 13th century. It probably means that some of this humor may not be your cup of tea. It is misogynistic, gender binary, ableist, disturbing in many different ways, and it very well may be something that you don't want to hear today. If that's the case, save it for another time. But if you do think that you can consume this content in context, let's find out what happened to the knight who heard his wife's confession. Our story begins, as usual, in one of the French cities where, evidently, a knight lived, and he was married to a wife very well liked by everyone around her. He was also very much in love with her, and he trusted her completely. She loved him, he loved her back, and everyone admired what a lovely couple they were. She had his complete faith and trust, and for many years they were happy, until one day the lady fell very ill and got worse, and kept getting worse, or at least not getting better, and everyone started worrying that she might die or she might stay ill forever. She was worried more than anyone, and she told her husband that she didn't want to die without having confessed her sins to some member of the clergy with the authority to give her absolution. It didn't take much to arrange this, and it was an easy enough request to grant, so very soon a priest came over, heard her confession, gave her communion, and left. But somehow the lady was not satisfied, and as she was spending the night with her husband sitting next to her bed, she told him, I don't feel that the weight of my soul has been lifted. I think there is a monk not very far away from here. He is a blessed man indeed. He lives with the grace of God. Could you please go find him and get him here for me, so that he can hear my confession and give me absolution, and maybe, maybe with his wish, maybe with his blessing, I can die in peace. Again, this was a wish, easy enough to grant, and our good knight, the husband, had no reason to deny. So very quickly he jumped on his horse and started galloping away. And as he was on his way, he started thinking, what a pious, what a good woman she is. How is it even possible that one confession is not enough? What possibly could be in her soul that grieves her so that she needs to confess to two men, one of them a hermit? What does she have to say? How could he find out? Maybe there is a way to find out. And so he started coming up with a plan. It wasn't a long ride to the monk's dwelling, and as soon as he arrived, the monk welcomed him. My lord, he said, if I knew that you were coming, I would have arranged for flowers to be put out and for some sort of celebration to welcome you here. Father, don't even think about it, said the knight. I will not stay long, and I'm also not here for any good reason or news. I want to ask you something, and please, I would like you to help me with this. 
I would like you to give me your black habit, your monk's habit, the one that you usually use, and your boots, and maybe your horse, the one that you use to travel. I'm going to leave my clothes here to you, and my horse to you, and I will bring your things back before midnight tonight. Is this something you can help me with? It is admittedly a strange request, said the monk, but I don't see why not. So quickly they swapped clothes, the knight got dressed as the monk, got his horse, and quickly galloped back into his castle. He was received by one of his servants, but it was the dead of the night, and he had his hood up, and the servant didn't even recognize him. And another maid led him inside, she didn't recognize him either, and he went and sat by his wife's bed, her deathbed, and she didn't recognize him either. To make things certain, he also changed his voice. I'm here, child, he said. Thank you, father, she answered weakly. Please sit here, I'm afraid I'm going to die, and I don't want to die without having confessed my sins. I do feel that all this sickness is happening because there's things that burden me and I need to get them out of my chest. That is wise, said the knight. It is also true that none of us can know the will of God, but also we all know, because we're taught the scripture, that we need to take our soul's health into consideration, and confessing our sins is good for the soul, and what is good for the soul is good for the body. So you are wise in your ways, milady, and thankfully I'm now here, so please give away your soul's distress. I'm listening. The lady was so sick that she couldn't even understand that this was her husband with a different voice, so she started talking. Father, everyone thinks I'm a woman of great virtue. Everyone thinks I have no fault whatsoever, but they are all deceived. I have deceived them. I've been false. I've been unfaithful. I have been with so many men. So many men. I think I may have bedded my entire household. There must be no servant here that hasn't come into my bed. And visitors, visiting nights, oh, I'm telling you they were happy to visit and not very happy to leave. The knight managed somehow under the cover of the hood and the darkness to keep his expression somewhat neutral. He also managed to speak in a way that didn't give away his extreme anger. This is a grave scene, my lady, and also completely unreasonable. Your husband is a great man. Are you genuinely saying that you'd rather bed the servants than your man, a good knight, a good husband, handsome as well, who loves you, and you prefer your servants to him? Why on God's good earth would you choose to do that? Father, you see, I can't help it, she said. It's in a woman's nature. There is no woman that can find husbandry exclusively in one man. They just can't do it. It's not enough. One man is not enough. It will never be enough. And as if this was not a problem in itself, we get married off to men who are thick and violent and harsh and stupid and they cannot tell one thing from the other and we get judged for everything and we can't even talk to them. We can't ask for anything. We can't tell them what we want. We have to hide ourselves away and hide our needs away. So what do you think we're going to do? We have to rely on serving boys. Yes, of course you're right, said the knight. I've heard this in other confessions as well. But is there more? Yes, there is more, actually. 
There's one more thing that really lies heavily on my soul. My husband, you see, he has a nephew younger than him, much younger, and a very handsome boy who really stole my head and heart many years ago. I completely lost control of my senses and of my feelings and of my desire and then I gave in to this lust and I was his mistress for five years and I repent it now because I know it was a sin and I shouldn't have done it. But you know what, father? It was so good. And the best thing about it is that he could come to my chambers. No one suspected a thing because he was family, because it was my husband's nephew. No one thought twice about it. And the thrill, the thrill of doing it in the open, when anyone could walk into my room. Oh, I loved it so much. I know it's wrong. I know I have no excuses. I know I betrayed my husband's trust. I don't even know why he trusts me so much. He trusts me to accept and host travelling nights without him being present. That's how much faith he has in me. People come over here that don't even ask for the man of the house. And I think... I've made such a good job of hiding my true nature that it's not only him, it's also everyone else. No one has a bad word to speak about me. I have complete command of the household. I have complete command of my husband. And look how I fooled them all. That is true, said the knight. That is very true, you have done that. But you do seem to be regretting it. She started beating her breast in humility and he gave her penance he made her promise that she would never do any of those things ever again and stormed out of the room. Naturally, he was fuming. He jumped back on the monk's horse and went to meet the actual monk and give his clothes back and get back his own. And he was riding through the night, mulling over all the things he's heard, all the lies, all the deception, all the cuckoldry that has been happening just under his nose. He came home intent to confront her, but in his time away, with the burden from her soul being lifted, she had gotten better, and she looked so fine, and he couldn't find it in him, and he was also so surprised, so he didn't say anything. And he just hugged her and kissed her and never said a word about it. Several days passed, and one day... She went about the house in her usual way, giving orders to the servants here and there, and the husband looked at her and remembered all the things that she told him that night. So he turned to look at her and told her, Why are you bossing the servants around, you sleazy slut? She was stunned. What are you talking about? Why are you bossing the servants around? Why are you being so haughty? Why do you demonstrate so much authority over the servants, and why are you no better than a prostitute? Her mind was working very quickly and she knew in an instant that there's only one way for him to know because she has only told these things to one person and that was the monk who confessed her. So she put two and two together in a split of a second and she knew. She knew that the only way for him to know would be if he had been the monk. You traitor, she replied. You dare to call me names. You, who pretend to be a decent knight, and come in the middle of the night on my deathbed, dressed as a monk, and you think I wouldn't know? Of course I knew, you idiot. Of course I knew it was you. And I lied. Every sentence, every word, every comma was a lie. Of course I made it up. I made up all of it. And what did you do? Believe it. Because all one has to do is tell you something for you to believe it. When have I ever done anything to 
point to any of the things that I've described that night. Never can you find one time when I have been unfaithful that you can prove. None. Can you find one time when I have been less than perfect? None. I lied and you bought it and you should be ashamed of yourself for being a liar and a deceitful man who dresses up as a monk and hears to people's confessions and for having really zero trust in me. She kept going for long enough that he had to stop and lower his head and apologize profusely for doubting her, for tricking her into a confession, for denying her a proper confession and for many other things that are too long to list here. He was, very soon, a standing joke for all the local folk. But for the moment, the peace in the household had been restored. And that was the story of the knight who heard his wife's confession. If you liked it, please subscribe to The Court Jester on Spotify or wherever else you're hearing this. And spread the word. Tell everyone you know. If you want to talk about today's episode, or any other episode, or any other topic medieval, find The Court Jester or me on social media, links are in the show notes. And there's also a link to the translation that I'm using, which is a bilingual one if you want to have access to the original language. Now, before I leave you, I want to remind you that The Court Jester is the labor of love of a medievalist and storyteller, that's me. And if you're feeling generous, you can support the podcast by becoming a patron on Patreon. If commitment is in your thing, you can do a one-time donation at coffee, and it will be your way to keep the merriment alive, give me a sense of achievement, and allow me to keep bringing you more comic stories from the Middle Ages. Thank you for listening. Until next time. Thank you.